Chapter 2 of Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Coco. Memoirs of the Author of A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by William Godwin. Chapter 2. 1775 to 1783. But a connection more memorable originated about this time between Mary and a person of her own sex, for whom she contracted a friendship so fervent as for years to have constituted the ruling passion of her mind. The name of this person was Frances Blood. She was two years older than Mary. Her residence was at this time at Newington Butts, a village near the southern extremity of the metropolis, and the original instrument for bringing these two friends acquainted was Mrs. Clare, wife of the gentleman already mentioned, who was on a footing of considerable intimacy with both parties. The acquaintance of Fanny, like that of Mr. Clare, contributed to ripen the immature talents of Mary. The situation in which Mary was introduced to her bore a resemblance to that first interview of Water with Charlotte. She was conducted to the door of a small house, but furnished with peculiar neatness and propriety. The first object that caught her sight was a young woman of a slender and elegant form, and eighteen years of age, busily employed in feeding and managing some children, born of the same parents, but considerably inferior to her in age. The impression Mary received from this spectacle was indelible, and before the interview was concluded, she had taken in her heart the vows of an eternal friendship. Fanny was a young woman of extraordinary accomplishments. She sung and played with taste. She drew with exquisite fidelity and neatness, and by the employment of this talent, for some time maintained her father, mother, and family, but ultimately ruined her health by her extraordinary exertions. She read and wrote with considerable application, and the same ideas of minute and delicate propriety followed her in these, as in her other occupations. Mary, a wild but animated and an aspiring girl of sixteen, contemplated Fanny in the first instance with sentiments of inferiority and reverence. Though they were much together, yet the distance of their habitation being considerable, they supplied the want of mere frequent interviews by an assiduous correspondence. Mary found Fanny's letters better spelt and better indicted than her own, and felt herself abashed. She had hitherto paid but a superficial attention to literature, she had read to gratify the ardor of an inextinguishable thirst for knowledge, but she had not thought of writing as an art. Her ambition to excel was now awakened, and she applied herself with passion and earnestness. Fanny undertook to be her instructor, and, so far as related to accuracy and method, her lessons were given with considerable skill. It has already been mentioned that, in the spring of the year 1776, Mr. Wollstonecraft quitted his situation at Hoxton and returned to his former agricultural pursuits. 
The situation upon which he now fixed was in Wales, a circumstance that was felt as a severe blow to Mary's darling spirit of friendship. The principal acquaintance of the Wollstonecrafts in this retirement was the family of a Mr. Allen, two of whose daughters are since married to the two elder sons of the celebrated English potter, Josiah Wedgwood. Wales, however, was Mr. Wollstonecraft's residence for little more than a year. He returned to the neighborhood of London, and Mary, whose spirit of independence was unalterable, had influence enough to determine his choice in favor of the village of Walworth, that she might be near her chosen friend. It was probably before this that she has once or twice started the idea of quitting her parental roof and providing for herself. But she was prevailed upon to resign this idea, and conditions were stipulated with her relative to her having an apartment in the house that should be exclusively her own and her commanding the other requisites of study. She did not, however, think herself fairly treated in these instances, and either the conditions above mentioned or some others were not observed in the sequel with the fidelity she expected. In one case, she had procured an eligible situation, and everything was settled respecting her removal to it when the entreaties and tears of her mother led her to surrender her own inclinations and abandon the engagement. These, however, were only temporary delays. Her propensities continued the same, and the motives by which she was instigated were unabated. In the year 1778, she being 19 years of age, a proposal was made to her of living as a companion with a Mrs. Dawson of Bath, a widow lady with one son already adult. Upon inquiry, she found that Mrs. Dawson was a woman of great peculiarity of temper, that she had a variety of companions in succession, and that no one had found it practicable to continue with her. Mary was not discouraged by this information and accepted the situation with a resolution that she would effect in this respect what none of her predecessors had been able to do. In the sequel, she had reason to consider the account she had received as sufficiently accurate, but she did not relax in her endeavors. By method, constancy, and firmness, she found the means of making her situation tolerable, and Mrs. Dawson would occasionally confess that Mary was the only person that had lived with her in that situation, in her treatment of whom she had felt herself under any restraint. With Mrs. Dawson, she continued to reside for two years, and only left her summoned by the melancholy circumstance of her mother's rapidly declining health. True to the cause of humanity, Mary felt in this intelligence an irresistible motive, and eagerly returned to the paternal roof, which she had before resolutely quitted. The residence of her father at this time was at Enfield, near London. He had, I believe, given up agriculture from the time of his quitting Wales, it appearing that he now made it less of a source of profit than loss, and being thought advisable that he should rather live upon the interest of his property already in possession. The illness of Mrs. Wollstonecraft was lingering, but hopeless. Mary was assiduous in her attendance upon her mother. At first, every attention was received with acknowledgment and gratitude, but as the attentions grew habitual, 
and the health of the mother more and more wretched. They were rather exacted than received. Nothing would be taken by the unfortunate patient but from the hands of Mary. Rest was denied night and day, and by the time nature was exhausted in the parent, the daughter was qualified to assume her place and become in turn herself a patient. The last words her mother ever uttered were, A little patience and all will be over. And these words are repeatedly referred to by Mary in the course of her writings. Upon the death of Mrs. Wollstonecraft, Mary bid a final adieu to the roof of her father. According to my memorandums, I find her next the inmate of Fanny at Wallam Green, near the village of Fulham. Upon what plan they now live together, I am unable to ascertain. Certainly not that of Mary's becoming in any degree an additional burden upon the industry of her friend. Thus situated, their intimacy ripens. They approached more nearly to a footing of equality, and their attachment became more rooted and active. Mary was ever ready at the call of distress, and in particular, during her whole life was eager and active to promote the welfare of every member of her family. In 1780, she attended the deathbed of her mother. In 1782, she was summoned by a not less melancholy occasion to attend her sister Eliza, married to a Mr. Bishop, who, subsequently to a dangerous lying in, remained for some months in a very afflicting situation. Mary continued with her sister without intermission to her perfect recovery. End of chapter two.